0: the cga tour a podcast unlike any other now your host calvin alexander welcome back to the latest episode of the cga tour podcast i'm your host calvin Glenn alexander and today i'm joined by recurring guests again almost co-host at this point uh, and jake carlson and one of his good buddies from high school who's well versed in the uh, the world wide world of tennis, um, Ollie as well, uh, both located in Georgia. How are you guys doing?
1: Good job, and thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, good to have you guys on. We're gonna talk about kind of a wide range of topics here today and everything, but, um, Ollie, you want to give us a little bit of background of, you know, why, why you're into tennis, you know, why it's kind of the sport you follow more than others? Well, um,
1: uh once upon a time, it was, I was between moving from one county to another, uh, transitioning from seventh to eighth grade, uh, while we were packing stuff and moving stuff in my house, um, I was, the only thing I had left in my room was my TV and my bed, and I was just flipping through the channels, and uh, I came upon a, a, a match uh, in the middle of summer, and it was a Wimbledon match. It was a Wimbledon final where it was Federer versus Nadal. And it was the famous 2008 final that went five hours. It had rain delays to close the roof, everything. And it had all the drama with it. And I saw how was Federer was making a comeback. And I saw the crowd was getting into it. And being 12 years old at the time, I was like, oh, wow, what, what is this? And I didn't even know how the scoring of tennis worked. I just, at from the moment I saw that epic match, I fell in love with the sport. And have been following it ever since then. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, as a result, it's now been over 12 years that I've been studying the sport, watching the sport, learning about all the different statistics, the mechanisms of the game, and, uh, all the records of all the different players, not just from our generation, but from its, its, its history and all the previous generations. So, uh, anytime Jake has a question of tennis or wants to know what tennis is going on, he, he texts me and lets me know, and I, and I keep him updated on, What's going on? So, so yeah, that's yeah, awesome. That remember we have that dead period in sports,
2: Calvin. um That February area, like right around when baseball uh, isn't going on, and then you've got like your tennis matches in the morning. Once tennis turns off, or once uh, like baseball's not on, soccer's not on. So I would always watch. What month is Wimbledon in, Ollie? Uh, Wimbledon
1: is in the
2: June July period, but yeah, okay. it's in July. Yeah. So I remember we talked about Wimbledon last year cuz that was when uh Federer and Djokovic played and you know we don't need to get into all that but uh <coughs> Djokovic Yeah, full disclosure
1: winning. I'm I'm a Federer fan and it was a uh, it, it was like uh it was kind of like the Falcons losing to the uh to the uh, Patriots. Uh, Patriots so so yeah. and me not being a super football fan I it didn't really affect me that much even though I'm born and raised in Georgia, but that match was uh, very uh, depressing, to put it lightly, for Federer fans. Um, uh, anytime, because because Wimbledon is his best slam, and anytime a final loss there is just, it, it's it, it sucks, but um, especially since he was one point away, but it's sports, it happens, so Jake texted me, like, oh, how you doing, and <laughs> what's your reaction, all that stuff, and and." I'm like, I've seen better days. <laughs>
0: I <used to laughs> of eight other
1: times before I wish it was number nine, but, uh, it happens. Uh, if, if it, the only other player that it could have happened to against was Djokovic could have done that. I, but, uh, cause he, Fedor did beat Nadal in the semis. So it's not like it was a complete, you know, like, where did this come from? But, uh, for someone who's 38 years old in the tennis world, competing against people that are five or six years younger, it's still impressive to him. For a lot of people, whether you are a fan of Federer's or not, or not even into real tennis, that someone like him is still reaching the final of the most prestigious tennis tournament in the world. So,
0: Gotcha, yeah. Well, so let me ask you this. How do you think, you know, Federer might be still a couple of years from retiring, I would assume. How do you think his legacy and impact will be on tennis? I mean, does he rank top five, top three players of all time? Is there... Um, is there a guy you can kind of compare him to for you know people who are into more of the history of tennis as well?
1: Well, um, to compare him to other tennis players is is very difficult because players like Federer are unique. And as I could say the same for Djokovic and Nadal and Andre Agassi and so on and so forth. Um, I would say when it comes down to... Whether it be next year or 2022 when he retires, um, because by the end of 2021, he'll be 40 years old. And whether he likes it or not, his body will catch up to him and it won't be easy to defeat people in the top 10 anymore. I I think when when you look back at Federer's legacy, you'll look back at how really he transformed tennis to become what it is known now uh you a lot of people associate the sport with him now you know when he's when he first won his first grand slam in 2003 to now you look he through the rise of social media and through marketing and endorsements of all these different brands that are associated with his name uh he's become huge on the money making end. from that perspective on the tennis court um i haven't seen a better mover on the court um, I, I haven't, he has one of the best forehands in history, one of the best backhands in history, and the only other players that can compare to that are players like Djokovic and Nadal. Um, but when, when he retires, I think a lot of people will also look at his humanitarian efforts and how through his foundation he's donated millions of dollars for education in, uh, the Southern Africa region. Um, and, Tennis won't be the same without him. It'll continue without it when he leaves, but it won't be the same. The same way there was it was kind of like a little bit depressed when Agassi retired or when John McEnroe retired. Um uh but without him it won't be the same because he'll he'll still show up from here now and then, but um a lot of people will miss him, that's for sure because I think a lot of players now are playing tennis because of him. So yeah. You know. Gotcha. Well, so let's so let's say he does
0: retire, you know, forty, forty one, forty two, or whatever may be. How how do you think he'll rank like all time amongst other tennis players, or is this kind of just a new era where maybe he'll rank above Djokovic and Nadal, but he but it'll be hard to compare him to the past greats. Kind of kind of like as if I w- would bring other individual um, players. Like it's hard for me to compare. Tiger Woods to Jack Nicklaus and all that type of stuff, right? Just because it's such a different era we're playing in with, you know, newer technology, you know, as far as the actual rackets and clubs, all type of stuff. But is there, if you had to compare Federer, I mean, how do you think he'll rank all time?
1: I think when you look at all of his records, just on the tennis court alone, he'll definitely rank in the top three of all tennis players in history. Um, uh, We live in a unique era where, well, To determine, the nickname of GOAT, or greatest of all time, Mm -hmm. is now largely associated with Roger Federer. But we are also in a unique time where where Federer has 20 grand slams, but Nadal has 19, and Djokovic has 17. It's very rare in tennis that you see three players dominating within a 15-year period, and all of them are vying to catch each other. And for the longest time, for the most time, Federer has been at the lead. And you see these other two, Nadal and Djokovic, trying to catch up. And it's tough. Those two are also arguably in the top five tennis players ever. It's hard to say if Federer is indeed the best. And this is coming from one of his fans. Because you look at tennis players in the 1960s and 70s and how they won like four or five grand slams in a row. But back then, you know... That the style of tennis and the game of tennis and the physique of the men and, and of men and women tennis players is way different compared to now. You know, you see Djokovic and Nadal buff as hell, and you look at the players in 1960s, 70s. They're used to just serving, volleying every single point, and uh, they were uh, very skinny. You know, it's just like you can't compare the generation now to 50 years ago and six and even years before so it but in my opinion when you look at Federer's legacy on the court and putting everything in consideration he'll definitely be in the top three in my opinion as of now he's probably number one but that position you have to put an asterisk next to it because um it's subject to change Depending on how the, these other two players are going to do, or how they are going to end their career. So, um, that's my thoughts on it. Gotcha, yeah,
0: okay. I mean I, I mean, I think that answers, um, the pretty darn well. I, I gotta say, I think Federer's the easiest market, you know, easiest marketable, um, tennis player we have. And, I mean, the, you know, the guy's Swiss and, you know, all type of stuff, but he's just, um, I don't know. There's something more relatable. I, I know, like, one of my first tennis rackets ever that I had was a Roger Federer tennis racket I think, made by Wilson. And, you know, it's was, it was fun playing with all type of stuff, especially when I was in middle school and everything. But as I've, as I've gotten older, I've definitely disconnected a little bit more from the sport as I've gotten more into basketball and football and baseball and everything else. But, how do, how do you think tennis as a whole sport right now is doing? Do you think that there's another year where, hey, hang on a second, we're going to think of tennis as one of the five main sports in the entire world, that it's going to be more popular than golf at some point, or hey, it's in a pretty darn good place right now compared to where it used to be? I mean, how do you think the whole, the whole sport of tennis is doing right now?
1: Um, I think right now, well, you brought up marketing and, mm-hmm. No other tennis player earns in in the ma- male tennis players earn more in endorsements than Roger Federer as of now. Um, like even Djokovic and Nadal are way far behind. Um, uh, not not actually not so far behind, but they're behind if you, if you look at their earnings uh, off the court. Just because uh, you know this goes back to what I said originally. It's like between two thousand and three to now, you know. Roger Federer has been with endorsements of Nike, Mercedes Benz, Rolex, um, uh, big, very big companies that have, and that put his advertisements everywhere. You know, it's very rare to see someone like Federer who, everywhere he goes in the world, it's like he has home court advantage, and it's literally. Over ninety percent of the crowd supports him for most of these matches, unless he's in like <laughs> Spain playing right, style or <laughs> playing
2: <laughs> right, right.
1: But even then, they still give him a decent amount of respect. It's, and but it's just like as of now, it's tough to say if tennis is considered a top five global sport. Uh, I, de- I definitely do think it's uh, uh, it, it's 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 become way more popular within the past twenty thirty years. Um, than it was, let's say, in the 1970s or something like that. Mm -hmm. But um, whereas compared to basketball and baseball has always been, you know, considered in the top two, top three most popular sports um, and football as well. Um, But uh, when one player leaves or retires, you see the dramatic change in viewership on TV or um, uh, amount of people showing interest in the sport. When Michael Jordan retired, I'm not sure how uh, the viewership changed in basketball. It probably decreased. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Um, but uh, definitely, when Federer leaves, you know, the tickets won't be as expensive in Wimbledon Center Court or the U.S. Open in Arthur Ashe Stadium, uh, just because of his name. It's it, 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 it's 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 very rare to see someone this popular earning this much money for this amount of time with, and people are like, oh, what's going on? Is something shady? No, it's just, he's, he's a genuinely a good guy and uh, personality wise and charity wise. And he brings a lot of entertainment on the tennis court with how he plays. And um, yeah, I think because of him now it is maybe considered a top five global sport if you put in soccer into that as well, soccer is probably like number one since that's all international and tennis is played all over the world as well. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen someone go to Shanghai and then go to Australia and then go to, uh, Wimbledon. I've, i like, for example, I've never seen it was a Federer versus Andy Murray match. Andy Murray's from Great Britain and the crowd cheers like 80% for Federer. It's very <laughs> rare to see
0: that. Yeah.
1: Or even in the French Open and the French are known to be very emotional. You play against the number one French player and Federer destroys him. And I'm like, and the crowd is cheering for Roger, who's from Switzerland. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. It's no, it's, a, 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 and it's just like even in Madrid, when you play in Nadal's backyard, even if it's not against Nadal, they cheer for you. It's it's just like the amount of respect that they have for him as an individual and what he's brought to the sport is uh, crazy. Of course, they're not dumb. They're going to root for Nadal over him. Or if you're in Serbia, they're going to root for Djokovic over him because they're from that country. But it's just like he's he has motivated so many young children to pick up a tennis racket and... Um, uh, that is what his legacy will be known as, you know. And I'm not even mentioning, you know, people like Serena and Venus Williams. Those two sisters have brought incredible um, influence and revenue to the sport, you know, motivating many young men and women to, um, especially young girls in underprivileged areas, to pick up a tennis racket and go for it. You look at right now, 15, 16-year-old Coco Gauff. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she is... A, the next big thing in, in women's tennis, uh, especially in American tennis. And, you know, uh, so it's just like these icons that you see once in a lifetime, like Serena, Roger, etc. You know, we have to appreciate what they bring to the sport because once they leave, you know, these younger players that they've influenced are going to have to fill that void. Yeah. That
2: was the point that I was going to make, because I would probably argue that on like for women's sports tennis is probably number
0: one
2: worldwide right like tennis would probably be the most popular women's sport across Mm -hmm. the world and yeah i think that's like almost purely attributed to you know sharapova and um Mm -hmm. and uh williams and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. it's uh and like i think that battle of the sexes you know that that should probably be one of those things brought up too, because Mm -hmm. I think one thing about tennis is tennis. I'm not going to say it's the only one, but it's, it's one of those sports where if if you have a male and female play each other, the male's not necessarily going to win. Right. Where like, you know, if we were to have Federer and Venus win or Federer and Serena play, you know, it would be one of the
1: most most uh, watched tennis matches ever, for sure. Yeah, and they're
2: both really good tennis players, and I'm not going to sit here and say, because I, I don't know enough about technique and all that stuff, but I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, Federer would blow her out of the water, because I don't know. Hmm. And I yeah, think... No, it's,
1: th- yeah,
2: I think I'm think sorry to interrupt, the- but, but yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that,
1: that, 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 it was Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs, who yeah. over 40 years ago, more than that, 50 years ago, where that was the... Fr- and Billie Jean King won that match, and people were like, wow... Uh, and, and that get heard. She gave a lot of influence to women, saying, "Hey, I can actually compete in this sport against other players." You mm-hmm. know, and uh, a lot of these icons, you know, they 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 give a lot of motivation to um, so many generations ahead of time. And you know, when Federer did play an exhibition against Serena, um, I believe it was uh, this January in Australia, and it was it was crazy. It was like Switzerland versus the United States. And it was just like a doubles match, a mixed doubles match. And uh, Serena and Federer had an interview and they were both complimenting each other's serves and forehands. So it's just like in those unique situations Well, we kind of see what happens, but in a real professional match, it'd be very interesting to see uh, how it would go down.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I do want to talk about a couple of the questions that, Uh, you and Jake came up with before the podcast here. And that, I mean, start with one of them, is that, like you said earlier, Ollie, that Roger Federer is kind of known as being the goat in the tennis world, definitely right now. You know, he may be kind of on his way out or kind of on the decline of his career, but he's been known as the greatest of all time. And since I've been following tennis, it's definitely true. I'm too young to remember um, really Agassi, Pete Sampras, or... You know any of those guys, even before or me, especially John McEnroe. But we talk about the goat, and we talk about in in basketball, you know, and having to we have to have the pure the pure goat when every other sport um, isn't as intense. Is there what what are your thoughts behind that?
1: Well, it's interesting to see how some sports it's very they they automatically assume one person to be the greatest of all time in this sport but in another sport it's not as it's not necessarily the case i think in tennis now we see the word goat be synonymous with roger federer where in basketball we see it to be with michael jordan you know and hockey i don't know wayne gretzky or something like that baseball there's no in my opinion there's no real way to say to determine who the goat is and even after even after you answer that question you have to ask what factors do you use to determine who is the greatest of all time? Do you use the factors of someone holding all the records? Do you use the factors of someone, uh, uh, their achievements outside of the baseball field or tennis court or whatever, or the basketball court and their humanitarian efforts or something like that? What do you use to determine that? And it's just like, and, and that aside, it's very difficult to compare generations you know there was a time where and to bring it quickly back to tennis the french open was just for ten, for french tennis players you know and there was there were people who won the french open back in the 1920s 7 8 times you know and then you see someone like nadal who is virtually a god on clay you win him seven, eight times, and you can't you can't say, oh, now that Nadal has won it eight times, he's better than that guy. I'm like, no, Nadal could have won it once, and he's better than that guy. It's tough to compare, you know, and and basketball as well. Basketball is tougher, in my opinion, because uh, or or tennis, or basketball it is easier to look at the comparison in generations. You know, you look at someone like Bill Russell with eleven rings, and then and then people some there are some people now who say, oh, LeBron's the greatest of all time. I'm like. He reached eight consecutive finals and he won, what was it, three times? So it's just like, yeah. uh, and, and I brought this up to Jake, uh, before, uh, you know, if it weren't for Ray Allen making that clutch three, he would have two, you know, stuff happens in sports. If Federer won last year's Wimbledon final, he would have 21 Grand Slams and Djokovic would have 16. Stuff like this happens that determine that change, uh, a player's legacy and standing or whatever. And plus tennis is an individual sport. It's the only, it's, it's, it's a little bit easier in tennis because you can either the results of whatever happens in a match, you can either blame it on you doing too good, you playing too bad or an injury, you know, basketball. It is a bunch of people that in a, in a team that different factors can come into play you know is a rost is is a roster overpowered for example is or is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, is who were who the other type of players you're playing in that season in that era in that generation um uh was one key player injured um wasn't was a key player in the opposite team injured you know what i'm saying so it's it's tough to it's tough to say because the game of basketball has totally changed as well compared to Bill Russell's age to, from Bill Russell's generation to now, you know. And uh, to determine who's the GOAT, it's just like, what factors, again, are people using? Bill Russell, outside of his 11 rings, was a great humanitarian with his advocacy for civil rights. Um, Magic Johnson uh, uh, and um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, all these people are also known for their uh, advocacy and efforts off of the court, as well as their achievements on the court. So it's just, it's it's tough to say, but all of these people were in different generations, you know. Uh, and it's just like you look to for tennis. You look at Arthur Ashe. Arthur Ashe was he didn't win the most Grand Slams, but he was a very but he. There's a reason why they have a yearly Arthur Ashe Humanitarian Award named after him because he brought a lot of awareness to AIDS and the AIDS epidemic uh, during the time, and he unfortunately passed away from it. But it's just like, uh, you know, a lot of people idolize him for his reasons. Uh, So it's tough to say. In my opinion, Michael Jordan is the best, the same way as of now, Federer is the best. But for Federer, it's really subject to change. That's not to say that uh, uh, in, in basketball it is not subject to change you know Mm -hmm. it's just like it's tough to say lebron is better than jordan because if you then that's not that's not taking a dig at lebron lebron is a phenomenal athlete but rings matter and and wins matter and yeah we know he recently passed um kobe bryant uh in points but it's just like kareem abdul jabbar right now has the most points ever scored does that make him the greatest of all time? does bill russell's 11 ma- rings make him the greatest of all time? It, it, all of these have to be put into factors in addition to the the style of play being used in the 1950s 60s basketball or 1950s 60s tennis. So yeah, that's one of the
2: Calvin and I usually hit on those like the main points um, cuz we've with the jordan dot coming out we've we've talked about like the the whole goat thing and we always talk about fitting the statistic for your narrative. And mm-hmm. so, like, you can say that, you know, like, LeBron passed Kobe in points.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: I'm like, okay, well, if he's not number one, then I, I don't really care. Like, I personally care about yeah. rings. And, you know, like, that's just my personal preference. I like someone to be, like, a straight-up killer on the basketball court. Like, we talked about yesterday with Djokovic. Like, jo- mm-hmm. I don't really like Djokovic, but, he's a straight up killer on when he plays like, that. Yeah. he's just always like that. He's always super intense. And that's how Jordan was. That's how Kobe was. And LeBron to me is more a little bit like Nadal, doll. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're just crazy athletes. Yeah. Yeah. They're a little bit, a little bit, um, I don't know, fruitier. I don't know if that's the best word They're, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're, they're definitely narcissists. But they're narcissists, and the point of like their ego is so big, opposed to the fact of like I'm a narcissist because I'm an asshole.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, I was gonna say Nadal is also he is to his credit he is one of the biggest fighters on a tennis court, and I would give that that's kind of a category you see from Kobe Bryant, you know, with uh, he's had injuries and he still played through a game and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. Nadal, Nadal has never, Nadal has withdrawn from grand slams and retired from matches before, but he's never once complained he would say, Oh, the opponent was always too good. I would compare Federer to like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, not big in celebrations, but when it comes to the court, he'll bring it. And, uh, you, and it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, a lot of people are saying, oh, now that LeBron has passed Kobe in points, does that mean LeBron is better than uh, Kobe? I'm like, no. Last time I checked, five is greater than three. <laughs> and and, and uh, also, next time, it, it, when someone does a, two, a three-peat two times, then come back and talk to us. You know? Uh, it's just like, I, I bring up Calvin. I, could, I say, like, I have a ton of respect for Novak Djokovic as a tennis player. As a person, I, he is, uh, not the nicest guy, I would say. Maybe he does good at humanitarian efforts for Serbia and his home country. I get that. But, I mean, he's never won, uh, like the sportsmanship award from, that is voted from the tennis players, you know? That Mm. almost goes to always Federer and Nadal. Why is that? We'll get into that later, I guess. But it's just (laughs) like, um, I would say Novak Djokovic is kind of like the Ivan Drago of tennis, Bring it back to Rocky, because he'll kill anyone that's on the court. He doesn't care if your dog died. He's like, oh, you're injured. I don't care. I'll win 6-0, 6-1. And he just doesn't care like that. that. That switch kind of flipped on for him after 2011. And it's just he's been on a roll ever since. You know, Nadal is also, he has a nickname called the bull. He's, he just, he never stops. He'll play a six hour tennis match and then go to practice the next day. Um, Federer is, and Federer is very efficient in his training where out of his 20 year plus career, he's only had one or two s- surgeries, you know, and he's never retired from a pro- professional tennis match. And He's play. He's won, He's not only played, but won over a thousand tennis matches. So credit to him on his ability to, to, you know, stay fit. And Federer's never really been someone to show a lot of emotion on the court. When he was in the junior years, yeah, he would break a racket or two. But now he's kind of very mellow on the court. Now that he has four kids, they're watching. He doesn't. I don't know. Want to make himself look weird in front of them. But it's it, it, It's just like. You compare. You can compare some of these different people, and it's just like people. You can determine who's your favorite from there. So it's just like I'm, I was never one of the person, one of those people who liked someone like Djokovic, who would I don't know rip his shirt after like a five hour match and then beat his chest. And I'm like, eh, is that is that really necessary? Or yell at the crowd? And uh, as a Federer fan, it's just like I I have total amount of respect for Nadal as a person for sure. But as a tennis player, I loathe him for beating Federer twenty-five times. You know, that's the opposite of Djokovic, where I loathe Djokovic as a person, but respect him as a tennis player. You know, and he's also done damage on Federer's career for sure, and vice versa. Federer has prevented some of these other, some of Nadal and Djokovic from having more slams than him. You know, and now we're looking at some of these younger guys are trying to make a dent in all three of them. It's not working so far. But they're getting closer and closer, so within the next two, three years, we'll start seeing new Grand Slam champions beating probably some of these older guys in the final. and whether that be age related or they have they're just very talented or whatever it may be, you know, a changing of the guard is happening. so
0: yeah, well, well I don't know if you've got a chance to watch like the Last Dance or the Lance Armstrong like part one of the documentary. Um, I know Jake and I have talked a little bit about the about a little bit about the last chance on the last podcast here, but the the mindset I have I've thought talked about with my dad and others as well is that LeBron James to me doesn't seem as much of a goat because he seems more relatable. Like Kobe seems like a goat. Uh Jordan seems like a goat. Um, You know, Federer in the same aspect, um, Lance Armstrong in the same kind of aspect before we knew all of the other stuff behind the scenes, Um and Tiger Woods for the same thing as well. You don't know that much about their personal lives, and you see them show true, like, true, true emotion of, you know, holding that first Larry O'Brien trophy, or, you know, or when Jordan breaks down crying on the ground after he wins the first one after his dad's passing, and... You know when you see Kobe just clutching all type of stuff because you don't you don't really know these guys that much and I, I think a lot of it has to do it's because before social media it's because before uh, these guys building their brand right there's a lot more of uh, okay LeBron James is doing Taco Tuesday not just because he wants to be relatable and wants to be funny on Instagram but because he wants to grow his brand more and sell more shoes and t-shirts et cetera et cetera and be a well liked player now does some of it come off cheesy? For sure. The dude is literally a god amongst men when you look at him. If I stand next to LeBron James, the first thought someone's going to have is, uh, Calvin looks like he could lose a couple pounds and is about average height, but LeBron James is not a normal dude, you know? But But he wants to bring that idea and that mentality to me, so I could go, you know, hey, you know what, LeBron is kind of a cool guy, you know, I might not love the Talker Tuesday stuff, but I definitely love the other stuff he speaks out, and the um, the schools he started in his hometown, everything like that, and you know what, that makes me like LeBron James, and heck, you know what, in the back of my mind, whether whether he's doing it directly or indirectly, hey, you can, heck, you know what, uh, you know what, I think LeBron's awesome, and LeBron's definitely been the guy that I will remember more from watching the NBA. He entered the league in 03. I was in third grade at the same time. Kobe had already won three championships by then. Um, so i not remember Kobe as much, unfortunately. And I've just never been a huge, been a huge Lakers fan anyways. But I think that's kind of that, that helps me understand the mentality versus if I think they're the GOAT or not. If I think you're the GOAT, it's because I pretty much don't know you besides you winning championships, whether it be Kobe losing to the Celtics and losing to the Pistons, or is, but we're not talking about that. And so we're talking about Kobe with the five rings. And, you know, we're not talking about Jordan not making it to the finals for the first six years of his career. You know, we're not talking about him losing to the Pistons in back-to-back years. We're talking about him winning six championships and having a, you know, a year and a half off to play baseball and coming back. And then winning, you know, and then you know, when in second three at that point, and we're talking about Kobe being the true competitor, the guy who torts Achilles and still goes and shoots and makes two free throws. But when it comes to LeBron and us, listen, this discussion could definitely be the ESPN segment of the day or whatever. And I think it has been several times <laughs> this past couple of weeks, but but and, and rightfully so because it is like a, it's LeBron the greatest of all time or is. Jordan the greatest of all time, and then how do people feel about Kobe, and how do people feel about Kareem? Okay, how do you understand Bill Russell through all of this? Right, Bill Russell has eleven rings. Okay,
1: yeah. And
0: if we're talking about it, Bill Russell was one. He's still alive with us today. Is an amazing human being off the court, and three has the most amount of championships all the time so for- And He coached the teams that he played on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, we we could we could talk for okay. Well, it's the goat, really? Is it? Are we really talking the goats? Jordan versus LeBron, or is it really Jordan versus LeBron versus Bill Russell? And I think there's going to be a different mindset between all of it. One, I I don't remember Bill Russell winning a championship. It definitely happened before I was born, for sure. I'm only 26. Yeah, yeah. Two, um, two. Jordan won his last NBA championship when I was five. I don't really remember that much. Either when I, I don't, I honestly, I barely remember anything from when I was five, besides maybe that was the time we moved to Oklahoma City before I moved to Tulsa, or excuse me, before we moved to Missouri and back. But honestly, I don't even remember that well. I don't even remember how it all goes between the moving, you know, from one parent telling me versus the other parent telling me I have a family of when we moved to Missouri and Oklahoma, out of California, all type of stuff too. So my biggest point is, is that I'm going to remember LeBron the most. And for him to be known as the GOAT, I think there's got to be something said of, okay, if the guy wins an MVP of the league at age 35, when, oh, I don't know, another guy who's in the same who's the same age as him and was the same draft as him, and Carmelo Anthony is barely in the league anymore, and LeBron James won an MVP, I think that's got to count for something. Mm-hmm. But on the other and hand... for the LeBron fans out there
1: yeah. that solely look at the rings, I'm like, okay... Uh, He's three and, what is he? Three and six? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. It's just like, if you're that much of a fan of LeBron, he could have won a few more, for sure. But you, it's, some things are out of his control, you know? And it's just like, you know, there's nothing you can do. He has three, it is three rings. He can certainly burn another ring, but, uh, with the Lakers, but it's just like, you know, um, You can only play who is in front of you, you know, the same thing goes in tennis, you know, Federer between 2003 and 2007 was unbeatable for the most part. You know, every time uh, somebody beat him between that time period, they acted like they won the lottery. Uh, But it's just like, you know, and then you look at the rise of Nadal and Djokovic kind of challenging him. And it's just like people look at him. Well, wow, he is a human being, and then they recognize that the other two are legends in and of itself uh, themselves. And it's just like, and for Nadal, you know, I I told Jake the other day. I told Jake yesterday that when when Nadal lost at the French Open for the first time, it was like the second coming of Christ because (laughs) he is. It's very rare in tennis you see someone never lose at one tournament, particularly a Grand Slam. So, and it was just like. You have to put an asterisk on that because he was a little bit injured. He had a sore throat. And this is going from someone who's not a fan of him. And it's just like, at that year, you know, between 2005 and 2008, Federer lost against him four times in a row at that tournament. And then the second that Nadal lost, players are like, oh, Federer has to win now because he's won everything mm-hmm. else. He hasn't won the French Open. He has to win now or else it's over. He'll never be the greatest. He ended up winning it, but there were struggles. You know, he almost lost the, this that same day and, uh, it was crazy. And so far, that's his only and what is likely to be his only French Open, you know. And it's, you look at tennis, and it's like to determine, who I guess, the criteria of greatest of all time, I like to look at in tennis as who is the most well-rounded, you know. In tennis, you look at the three different surfaces of hardcore uh, clay and grass, and you see out of the 19 grand slam Nadal has, 12 of them come from one place. Is that a dig at him? No, he's a god at the French Open. I'm not questioning that. No one will ever be as good as him on clay. Like the, his twelve French Open is like the 100 point Will Chamberlain or the 11 <laughs> rings. You know, it's just not going to happen. Um, but he has one uh, Australian Open, two Wimbledon's, and four U.S. Opens. Whereas Federer has six Australian Opens, five U.S. Opens, and eight Wimbledon's, but one French Open. And then the Nadal fans are like, "Oh, but he only has one French Open." I'm like, "Bro, so does Djokovic." There's only three people. There's only four people on the planet that have won the French Open that are active players. And of those four, three of them are Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. You know, and it's just, and, and Nadal has beaten the other two, the other three, to prevent them from winning more. You know, so it's just like, you know. Uh, It it, it sucks for LeBron that he is three and six. I mean, that's not a good look when he, whether he even improves his record to like five and six, you know, because it's just like, it is what it is. You can't change the numbers in front of you. You know, Federer has 20 grand slams, but he's lost uh, three different crucial matches in grand slams to Djokovic while having match points. And he could have added more grand slams to his tally. Am I denying that? No, I'm recognizing that, that that's part of the game. It is what it is. It, it, it could have happened. It, it couldn't have happened to any other player besides Djokovic. It, it is what it is, you know? So there's a reason why he has 20 now and there's a reason why Djokovic is catching up and he currently has 17, you know? And with this, uh, with the coronavirus and it, and the delay of and the cancellation of many tournaments, you know, Wimbledon was cancelled for the first time since World War II. And it's just like that sucks. That Federer could have had a shot uh, this year, but uh, another part of me is like, hey, at least nobody else can win it, you know? <laughs> and uh, and especially after last year's final, I'm like, it's kind of a uh, flipping the bird to Djokovic fans then who are like, oh, if if Novak he's already you he, he, he could have won. it. I'm like, well, too bad. There's a pandemic. There's nothing you can do about it. You know they had to they had to reschedule the French Open. You think Nadal's crying about it? No, he's won it twelve times, and he'll probably win it again. And it's just like you know, it is what it is. You know, so it's just like, uh, again, it's with with whatever happens in history and whatever happens in comparing these different generations. You look at go back going back to your original question of LeBron. It's just like it. It, it is. I don't think. In my opinion, to put it bluntly, I don't think he should be put in the greatest of all time discussion. He should be put in the top five players, like, as far as athletes, for sure. But his three rings is part of his legacy. You can't change that. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it.
2: Yeah. And to piggyback off that, like, my thing is, like, I like the guys that have killer mentalities and I like guys that win. Mm -hmm. um lebron is able has always been able to win in his conference and like i do think what like making an allusion to tennis i think one of the good things is like it's hard to make excuses in tennis for other things not working out everything that worked like if you lose in tennis it's on you period there's no there's no other way around it but i think the hard part with like basketball like there's always this thing on the media where, Calvin, you can probably agree with me on this, is there, when LeBron loses a finals, for the most part, there is always some sort of excuse that his team wasn't good enough, or that, that he had this. Yes, that may be true. Some years it absolutely was. Mm-hmm. But, if we are supposed to consider someone the greatest of all time, Should we be making excuses for them as to why they are? I don't think we should. Like, I think, you know, and I I think it's impossible to determine anything in basketball, just like it is in baseball. You can't determine who the best is in baseball because you have pitchers, you have hitters, you have fielders. You have three primary aspects of the game that, you know, that are huge. And so, like, that's why you hear in baseball, oh, he's the greatest pitcher of all time. He's the greatest catcher of all time, infielder, or outfielder, or whatever. And same goes for football. You never hear, at least I don't, and correct me if I'm wrong, you never hear someone say, oh, he's the greatest of all time. Because when people say, oh, Tom Brady's the greatest of all time, really they mean a quarterback. Because if you put Tom Brady versus Barry Sanders, I guarantee you Barry Sanders would win in a one on one match in football. Yeah. So. It like yeah, when you talk about the athletic you know, the athletic situation, that's different. And that's why like Tom Brady has six is it six rings? Is that right, Calvin?
0: Yeah, Brady has six. Gosh, that's so many. Um
2: but but football's a team sport. Like they won against the Rams, what was the score? Like ten to three, thirteen to three? It was a terrible game. But Tom Brady didn't prevent them from scoring all those touchdowns. Tom Brady didn't hold them to three points. That was their defense. That was their coaching. And so I think some of that should also be attributed into basketball, you know, the same way that it is in baseball, same way that it is in football. But the problem is we look at basketball through such like a, like a one person lens where we're like this single person, When in reality it is a team sport, and I think it's unfair to you know, Michael Jordan says this, it's unfair to discount Scottie Pippen, it's unfair to discount Dennis Rodman and say, Well, I would have won those without them. That just it doesn't make any sense because he's not winning those championships without them, just like LeBron isn't winning without Kyrie or without Kevin Love or whoever. Yeah. Ray Allen even Ray Allen.
0: Right. And I'm with you on that. I think basketball is the Basketball and quarterback and football. Um, I'm trying to think if baseball, I don't think baseball has it the same way, but I think basketball, you can be any position. You can be a center, you can be a one through five in basketball, or you can be a quarterback in football. And those are the two easiest places where you can see a flip of the switch. Your team go from out of the playoffs to in the playoffs. You know, your team can go overnight from, hey, you didn't have Kevin Durant, now you do have Kevin Durant. You didn't have, um, I mean Andrew Luck. you Andrew 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 Luck, um, Brady in some aspects, but uh, the Brady thing's gonna interest me with the whole Tampa Bay and that type of stuff. We'll have to see how it play out this season without Belichick. But
2: bad teams that got quarterbacks and but, ended up being good
0: the next year. R- r- exactly. Right. I mean your your Matthew Stafford you know, gets drafted by the Lions, and the Lions don't win a playoff game since then, but he throws for 5,000 yards and, you know, a, seemingly a ton of games. So football's a little bit more up and down with that and, um, you know, wishy-washy because if is your defense offense. isn't good, right, but if um, Mahomes and Watson are the two most recent guys, uh, the Texans Chiefs go from being, okay, cool, you're in the AFC West or, you know, you're... Yeah, you're, you're doing something, you're what, in the AFC South, is that right, for the Texans? Um, right. yep. To being, oh, okay, you're in the playoffs, and you're actually probably going to win a game or two, you know, um, yeah. and then, you know, one wants your Super Bowl, and one needs a better O-line, but I think basketball is the easiest by far away to go, oh my gosh, you have LeBron James, you go from being a bad franchise to being, oh my gosh, you're the best player this franchise has ever seen, in the blink of an eye. But on the same aspects, basketball is also the one where once you're in the playoffs, you need the rest of the guys around you. You know, there, there are only so many. You know, I, I will not think of Kyrie Irving as an amazing, incredible basketball player because the second LeBron James left Cleveland, yes, Cleveland did not have a bunch of people around him, but Kyrie Irving didn't take that team to the playoffs. Instead, they got Anthony Bennett. You know, they got number one draft picks. Yeah, regardless. Cleveland chose the wrong guy, but they got more draft picks when Kyrie's on the team. Um, and on the same, on the flip side of it, it, when you bring it back to tennis and to Ollie's point earlier, um, if Federer doesn't win the whole thing, right, he's not going out there and blaming the the trainer or the coaching, you know, or all type of stuff. It really is an individual sport, you know. Tiger Woods is not blaming the caddy, right, if, if he doesn't win something. Uh, man, the caddy told me to... Take the eight iron. I didn't trust it. I should have taken the pitching wedge, and that's what made the difference, you know, or, or whatever it is. This, is, those are truly individual sports. Now, the rest of the training staff and the rest of the you know coaches and stuff like that get paid for individual sports, and you know the guys who are mentors on all that type of stuff get paid. But it solely falls on that one guy. And on the same thing, who are we blaming for the Falcons' loss right now? Right um, when they lost to the Patriots, the Super Bowl, right? When they Probably were up... Probably not, not the players. Right. We're not blaming Matt Ryan. We're not blaming... You not Leo Jones. We're not blaming... Mm-hmm. Well, I forget if Calvin Perino was on that team or if that was the year after. But we're not yeah, blaming... He wasn't. Okay. Uh, thank we're you. So, Shanahan. We're, right. We're blaming Kyle Shanahan. you are Kyle Shanahan, who... I hey, guess what? Just last year, played against the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So, you're not blaming the... Oh my gosh, this this goofball couldn't figure it out. This idiot couldn't figure it out. Um so we replaced him We moved on whatever and said that dude gets hired by a, a different team and is their head coach and almost wins a role in a different team different city and you know less than 5 years later. And so football's such a, a up and down with that. But basketball, you know, we see a trade during an off season. We see I think Kyle Leonard's going to be the easiest guy to talk about in this kind of sphere that we're talking about right now. I don't consider Kawhi the goat. I don't consider Kawhi, Kawhi in that conversation, at least yet. But if the dude wins three more championships and has four, and LeBron only has three, and it has a career, we're going to be having a different discussion. And the key thing, I think. Uh, oh, well, excuse me, Kawhi has two because he won, won, won one the Spurs. Yeah, so no, if I he understand. wins two more, yeah, players, thank yeah. you. Um, but
1: that's my input for basketball. Yeah, <laughs>
0: thanks, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Um... But but my my biggest thing is that basketball, you can have that one dude who doesn't want to keep playing for the team he's playing for, for whatever reason, doesn't trust the staff, wants a new contract, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the deal was, it's now over and gone. But goes, I don't like the situation I'm in. Then the Spurs go, okay, we're going to trade you away. We're going to get less back for you than we should get because we're not trading you in full faith and honesty. But then the Raptors go ahead. Still, still, still sell trade, right? Spurs still made a good move. Still stay in contention, all type of stuff. I think they're still tied for, like, the ninth um, place right now in the Western Conference, if everything is still playing right now today. Um, who knows with that type of stuff. But the Kawhi thing is interesting because that is the one dude where you go, basketball might truly have a good GOAT debate. Basketball and individual sports might always have good GOAT debates that are really passionate and fierce because you have a guy who can change teams, not play all 82 games for that team he changed to, not play really even over 65 of those games. I think it was about 65 or 67 games for that team. And then one year go from the team being, okay, they were decent. They were always in the, always in the finals, always quite good, but everything lined up where the guy who had, Got into the finals every single year in that conference. LeBron left that conference, um, that gave the that gave the Raptors a path through. I believe, if I'm right, the Sixers beat the Bucks. Is that right? And then the Sixers Raptors for Eastern Conference Finals, and so Kawhi didn't have to play against Giannis and the Bucks, which I think would much, much harder than the Sixers um, for Kawhi Leonard. And then all of a sudden. Is able to go to championship, and then you have this weird string where Kevin Durant gets re-injured, and Kawhi Leonard Clay, is in Clay's, Clay's, Clay's injured as well. Um, and you have this Kawhi Leonard is maybe going to be the only guy who plays for a team for one year, has the option to re-sign with that team, wins an wins an NBA championship, wins the uh, NBA Finals MVP, and decides to still change teams, even though he could just have said, "Let's run it back," and that shows to me how basketball is truly one of those sports where we're always going to have a good goat debate because a good greatest of all time debate because you have a guy who can be you could you can have a Kawhi Leonard even with all this type of stuff that's fluky but we can talk about any season you know we we can go back to the um, we can go back to the O five Pistons with the whole mouse in the palace debacle if that has not happened, do the Pistons repeat no five their championship no four I mean we, we can go all the way down. Different years of this with basketball, but you have this Kawhi Leonard story, and it's awesome and it's amazing. And you have Tiger Woods, you have Roger Federer, you have Nadal, Djokovic. You, you know, you have Jack Nicholson, uh, Jack Nicholas, excuse me, um, on the golf side. still, and you're always going to have that good debate because you have the um, you have the guys you can just flip, who can you know with the coin toss or you know, I guess the orientation of a ping pong ball or whatever it is change the whole franchise's outcome and its city's outcome um in 5 years. I think yeah, like I I
2: completely agree with all of the stuff you're saying and I think that's one of the parts that like if I was a LeBron fan, which I'm not. Everyone that listens to this podcast knows that. But as all
0: We are well versed in that. Yes, we are we, well versed. We are
2: able to set our biases aside, look at, objectively at something. Absolutely. And uh-huh. And the frustrating part, like for me, when I see the LeBron fan base argue is they say, oh, well, his coach wasn't good enough or his team wasn't good enough. I can understand team. I can understand ability of your other players. But if you start arguing to me about the coach in the one sport, with maybe the exception to like a pitcher in baseball, that might be the only other position in any other sport where you can just fully take over on your own because you have the ball at all times. Because at the end of the day in football, you still gotta snap the ball. You still gotta throw it to the receivers. You still have to hand it off to the running back. You're still given putting the ball in somebody else's hands. In basketball, like you said, Calvin, like these dudes are able to just take over. Why like why is the LeBron fan base using the coach as an excuse? I've never understood that. It shouldn't matter. The dude's the best freaking player on the planet. Period. So just use, like, and if you don't want to admit that he didn't want to take over the game, I would much more respect that than blaming it on somebody else. Maybe he just had an off day. Maybe he wasn't shooting threes that great that day, which, he's not a great three-point shooter, but we point out when he does shoot threes really well. So, I think that's the, like, one of the most frustrating parts to me because Jordan had a really good coach. Just I mean, there he has, he has 11 rings as a coach, right? Yeah. So, yes. yeah. so it's frustrating when I, when I hear like that part about LeBron's career and I'm like, no, you don't have to make excuses for him. Just say he didn't have a good game that day or say he did all that he could do. but, Putting it on other players and putting it on the coaches is is discounting his play
0: more than it is elevating it. Well, let me ask you this: so the Warriors win back to back championships, right? Um, Steph Curry wins now in a year before then. Steph Curry wins back to back MVPs. He wins the championships back to back. Oddly enough, not the same year she wins MVPs back to back. But I'll ask you this: we saw Mark Jackson be the coach of the Warriors, right? Correct. Then we see Steve Kirby coach the Warriors with little roster change, if really too much at all, besides Draymond Green starting over David Lee, you know, in that first yeah. year and a couple other things behind the scenes, John Livingston playing a bigger part, etc. But there weren't a, what I'm getting at is there weren't a huge amount of changes besides the coaches. Yeah. And do you think that if Steve Kirby coaches LeBron instead of David Blatt, do you think if it's, you know, um, you know LeBron James has Steve Kerr as the head coach. When you know Steve Kerr is as good as a coach as he has been with the Warriors, right? I'm not trying to redate back to '07 or something, um, or or '06 or whatever the first year LeBron was the Finals against Spurs was. But do you think that makes a difference? And Ollie, do you think that makes a difference either as well? So I
2: think my my difference on coaches is like I think. There are, obviously, there's good ones, there's average ones, and then there's bad ones. I think all the coaches that LeBron has had have been average. I agree. Um, I think some of them are better than they were given credit credit for. Um, like, what's it, Mark, what, Brown, his last name's Brown, and he coaches, he's the assistant coach for the Warriors now. But he was, I think he was LeBron's first coach in the NBA for the Cavs. and they had the best record in the league when he was there, and then he ended up getting fired eventually. And I think th- it's it's the whole factor. It's kind of how I feel about Gundy. This is the best analogy that I can use: is like, do I think Gundy is a good coach? Yes. Do I think he's a good recruiter? No. But I think he's a good coach. But do I think he's a good enough coach to put us over the edge? No. So, like, I think there's always those coaches that you will plateau with. I think Mark Jackson was that plateau coach. But hiring Steve Kerr was, like, letting the dogs off the leash. And I think Mark Jackson was scared to do that because he played in an era in basketball where nobody shot threes. Steve Kerr was a three-point shooter. He didn't shoot a lot. But I think there was, like, an affinity with, like, I shot threes, okay, well, this guy can clearly shoot three, so let's just see what he can do. Same with Klay Thompson. And, you know, now you see, like, Harden. But D'Antoni's been doing that for years. He did that with the Suns, and with, like, Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. So I think, like, with the coaching factor, if you give LeBron Steve Kerr, I think probably you get more players Maybe you get a player that sets you over the edge, and Steve Kerr seems like a pretty like laissez-faire coach when it comes to like his on-court stuff, at least from what I see. And he kind of lets his players because I've seen him like not call timeouts in crucial parts of the game and stuff like that. So I think if you give LeBron Steve Kerr, things definitely change. Like he might have one or two more rings. I would probably say one, but there are. I would say but like if you give LeBron Brad Stevens, Brad Stevens is a great coach, but he also has a lot of really good players that also fill a really good role. So I don't know if if he would be like a great fit for LeBron. Same with like Popovich. I think LeBron would be great with Popovich. He'd put a you know, he'd average probably twenty five and fifteen. But would they win the championship? I think that would also depend on the other players as well.
0: So I'm I'm going to argue this. I think that if Steve Kerr coaches LeBron, it doesn't increase LeBron's finals winning percentage or finals win total at all. I think I think Kerr will go down as the perfect coach for Curry and Clay, and for bringing the three pointers to the league. But I think on the flip side of it, Brad Stevens stuff is still almost too new in my eyes, where I don't know how to judge him just yet. And until he wins that first championship or a couple, um, it's a little bit harder. But I'll say, say right and, and well and and has a true superstar on his team. know, has yeah. that Steph Curry or um, Tim Duncan, Ginobili, you know whoever it is, like Pop mm-hmm. um, saw so, and of course Tony Parker. But I'm gonna say if I th- I think that if LeBron was playing for the Spurs or if Popovich had been coaching LeBron, LeBron could have won five um, finals instead. You know there could have been there there could just sh- Popovich might have been the perfect coach for LeBron. The perfect coach to see that play out. Whereas Kerr is going to be known as the perfect coach for the Warriors and to make that all work out as well as it did. Because, as you said earlier, Kerr was the guy who said, screw it, let's... The way we're going to win is if we go crazy in this one aspect of the game of three-point shooting and constant ball movement, the way LeBron's going to win games is... Basically, I mean, taking over and running over people until he finds a good pass, that type of stuff, right? I mean, backing dudes down in the paint, um, being able to accelerate as fast as he can from from half-court, three-quarters-court, or the wings. His ball handling is incredible. Basically, LeBron James is never going to be known as an elite three-point shooter. He's going to be known as an incredible all-around player who has an incredible court vision as well. And it's an extremely good passer. I mean, you know, he's able to dry down the court, bully people down towards the basket, have two or three people try to come help side defense, find that open guy in the corner, Kyrie, Kevin Love. Um, gosh, I, I'm forgetting several people now.
2: But J.R. Smith.
0: J.R. Smith, um, Shumpert a little bit, you know, whoever it may be. And, and, like, and that's how they're going to win.
2: Building off, like, D'Antoni might have been LeBron's probably best system coach. Because you take LeBron, now he can't shoot as well as, like say, a Harden can. But D'Antoni's offense does somewhat emulate, like, okay, we're going to have one guy dribble the air out of the ball. And he's going to pass. And it works. And that's fine. And I think, like, with with Steve Kerr, you know, he, like you said, he kind of just let, he's like, well, this is how we're going to win. And like with Popovich, they've had very good players, which I think were elevated by the system, like Tony Parker, Ginobili, Boris Diao, Patty Mills, guys like that. None of them will be LeBron James. Now, Tim Duncan, different story. David Robinson, different story. But there are guys that are elevated by system. And one I don't think LeBron's ever had that, but... I don't know if he did have that, If it, like you said, if it would
1: change. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to mention in like the, to compare it to tennis, it's tough to say uh, how different coaches would bring, uh, how different coaches could change the tennis players. I mean, for the women's tour, it's, the coaches are recycled all the time. I see a lot of, I, some former coaches from the world number two, go to the world number three, and then the world number six, go to world number one and stuff like that. And, uh, but, and also in the women's tour in tennis, it's a lot of the coaches are their parents or their, their, uh, their mom or dad. In the men's tour, it's, it's also similar for some players. Like Nadal's coach for the majority of his career has been his uncle. I'll never see him be Federer's coach, you know, but it's just like, uh, I'm, I mean, someone like him could have brought a different aspect to Federer's game on the clay court that could have made him win more than one French open, you know, or even Djokovic's coach. If he was, for example, Federer's coach, I wouldn't, it would be weird to see Federer ripping a shirt and, and, and fist bumping his chest and whatever. But uh, maybe Federer would have a better backhand. I could, I, from what I, I've seen and experienced, um, Federer's had like four or five coaches throughout his life, maybe a little bit more. But they have all brought a different aspect and changed a different aspect to his game. Some of them have made him a better server, a better backhand, um, changing his strategy and stuff like that. And the same goes for Nadal and Djokovic. But it's just like, it's, it, it would be interesting to see how, if this coach came at this time in their career, could it have completely changed this person's results. Like if a specific coach that Federer got in 2014 came in, in at 2010, could Federer have 23 grand slams by now? Uh, or if, uh, uh, let's say, Federer had a different coach uh, when he was struggling against Nadal on clay, could Nadal have less French Opens, if if that kind of makes sense? So it's it's tough to say. And this goes back to the uh, the the big question of this shows the main difference between team sports and individual sports. Where individual sports like tennis, the only three outcomes are you're injured and you lose by default, the other player was too good, or you played terribly. I've seen hundreds of Federer's matches and other players' matches as a result. I would see one day Federer play amazingly, and then the next day he gets killed. It just and I and I'd be sitting there. Just dumb, dumbstruck, and I'd be like, "What just happened?" He played great. He won his match in an hour and fifteen minutes, and then he lost six two six two to this guy, random guy from number twenty three in the world. I'm like, "What happened?" Some players just have off days, you know. And um, you know, in the most recent years, we've seen, I guess, since 2015, 2016, Nadal starting to lose on clay. And I grew up seeing him as a god on clay. I'm like, no one's going to beat him. No one's going to come close. And then now to seeing him being mortal, it's just, it's, it's weird to see, but I guess again, that goes back to his age and stuff like that. But to bring it back to coaches, it's just like, again, Nadal's had the same coach for 15 years, 16 years. And does, did he ever consider changing his coach, especially in the clay season? when he started to lose and people are like, oh my God, is this the end of Nadal on clay? And I'm I'm like, get out of here. He'll he'll still win the French open, even if he loses 10 matches in a row before, it doesn't matter. And uh, it's interesting how like basketball, from from my perspective, it's interesting how uh, basketball teams manage firing and hiring of some coaches um, because it's just like, I don't know. Maybe it's immediately. Oh, they, this team didn't get a playoffs in this season when they were expected to, and they're like, bye. See you later. Or if they lose badly in the finals, and then they're gone. And whereas tennis, it's I've seen, I've seen tennis players get destroyed in a match. But they don't fire their coach because they're just like because because it's different, you know. Where the team and individual sport, the coach can't be blamed for everything. In, in in individual sports like tennis, you know, the coach can sometimes say, "Hey, the other person was too good. We just have to sit there and endure this crap for an hour and a half." <laughs> so, uh, whereas in basketball or like like. Let me bring in a soccer example. When Brazil lost seven one to Germany in the World Cup in twenty fourteen, that coach knew after halftime he was going to get fired because because (laughs) the whole the whole the whole country was going to be running after him. You know, whereas you know, I like when Federer lost that Wimbledon final last year, people in Switzerland were not running after his coach. You know, they were they were just pissed off at at Djokovic, I guess. But it's just like. it's interesting to see because soccer is also a team sport. It's just like, yeah, I guess for that day, you can also put the blame on Brazil playing poorly and Germany playing amazingly. But the result of seven, one in the world cup semifinal in your home country is embarrassed. And the coach knew that this is the end. And it's like, uh, the same way if a basketball coach knows that there's going to, that they're going to get swept in the finals. It's like, Oh, this is probably my last game with this team. Uh, uh, so it's just it, it's interesting to see the dynamic and and the the reactions that it, it it generates from wins or losses in these two different sports and these two types of sports were individual and team sports is the the ironic
2: part sorry calvin the good. the ironic part is like I think basketball and soccer can be very similar in a lot of aspects, especially when it comes to coaching. Because like you have your tactics. You have your tactics that you present before the game, your formation and whatnot, and same goes for basketball. But in soccer, the coaches buy their own players. They buy who feel who they feel best suits their team, whereas in basketball you have your coach and your GM. So there could be guys that like a coach wants, but the GM doesn't want him, or vice versa. And but the the crazy part which Calvin I know you know like this part is the GM coach double role never works ever and which is just it's that's crazy to me
0: yeah i i do have um a different question for you guys though as i think we end out this episode um the 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 coaching stuff is always different, right? But and I'm just going to completely just just 180 this whole um, conversation conversational it to end it out because I know I wanted to ask all of this before we ended for sure, and Jake your opinion as well. So with individual sports, with better with LeBron, with these guys who are I would say on the tail end of their careers, who now have because of COVID, because of everything that's going on, have the ability to isolate themselves, one, but also really take this time to rehab and get better and um, take an extra, you know, couple months, it seems, maybe more, to use the time wisely and maybe extend their careers. My question for you guys is, do you think that happens? Do you think that we see... LeBron's already playing incredibly well for being 35, um... Same thing with Federer. Do you think we see some of these guys extend their careers farther into the future because of the suspension of their sports as they were normally going to be played? Or do you think that this ends their career in the same amount of time as it usually would have because their practices and all type of stuff they normally have to go through takes the same amount of type of toll on their body slash doesn't make that big of a difference?
1: Well for me from what I know it this this benefits Federer because in 2016 uh he had a knee surgery and he was out for 6 7 months and people are like oh that's it he'll he'll retire the next year but he ended up coming back returning to world number 1 and winning two grand slams you know people like him who have been playing so many years his body does deserve a break once in a while and that 6 7 months that he was off it while everybody else was busy were busy killing each other on the court. He, he came in at the right place at the right time and beat Nadal and beat all these, all these other players. And uh, and it, it it was a nice, uh, like, kind of in the twilight of his career to see for me to witness him win three more Grand Slams uh, at his age, you know. And right now he is – he actually had an injury earlier this year and he's technically in rehab right now. And he has posted in interviews before that – he has not picked up a racket since February, um, which is crazy for t- to hear from someone like him, but he's, he, and he doesn't anticipate uh, tennis returning anytime soon, especially if the U S open is being held in New York city. And with what's going on with coronavirus in New York city, who knows if that tournament will happen or if it's going to be postponed. So it does benefit for players like Feder. um, and he has never publicly announced a retirement date, but there have been hints going on around and rumors. But every time something, well, every time he had an injury and he took six, four, five, six months off or an event like this happens that he didn't even predict, it it indirectly will lengthen his career because the time that he didn't play this year with the amount of tournaments that were canceled, he'll add it onto the next year's schedule, if that makes sense. and. uh with all with some of these tournaments that were like when Wimbledon was canceled, he was the first person to say, "Oh, I'll see you next year," which millions of fans were happy about that. And they're but they're also but another part was just like, when will he ever stop? Not that they want him to stop, but they're just like, uh, it's it, it's very crazy to see a forty year old playing Wimbledon. You know, I mean, if any forty year old could do it, it's him. But uh, he did definitely benefit from the cancellation of many tennis tournaments so as for lebron i can only say maybe it benefits him i know i could oh also i was going to mention serena williams was also struggling with injuries and she or she has a lot of pressure on her because she has amazingly 23 grand slams and the women's record is uh 24 so she wants to get to 25 before she retires and this time off has according to her, benefited. So now that she's been through rehab and uh, uh, going through training and all that stuff for whenever the tour returns, she's also a killer on the court and she'll be looking forward to going back to the U S open or whatever tournament it may be. So uh, I can only say that for people like Federer and Serena, who, who, They're outliers in their sport of how good they are, that it would benefit people like them. Unfortunately, for players who are lower ranked, who need to play every tournament to earn an income, it's very hard. And, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. For now, all the tour tournaments are canceled through the end of July, and the US Open starts in August. So I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I think...
2: I mean, with tennis, I think it can only help. Um, that's that's about my two cents on tennis. Um, regarding basketball, I think, like, it definitely helps LeBron. Um, because, like, as we all know, he's been playing into June for his basically, you know, the last 10 years or so. Um, so I think it definitely helps him in that aspect. But the question that I have, I wonder about the people that were already hurt. So like, like Katie, um, maybe Clay Thompson, you know, guys that immediately come to mind that were hurt and I don't necessarily think it's hurting them, but like Clay Thompson was rumored to be able to come back, uh, uh. Like maybe around the playoffs, I believe. And Katie was also rumored to be able to come back. How much of that is true? I don't know, but that could ultimately hurt them, you know, because they're coming off of injuries and they might have to sit out like longer, so they're longer out of shape and 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 that kind of stuff. But I think with guys like you know the already healthy guys, um, I think it definitely helps them. And then guys like. You know, my Wizards team, John Wall, it definitely helps him because he's been out for a year and a half going on two years this year. Um, And I think it definitely helps him because he was already anticipated being out the whole year. So he'll come back next year uh, ready to go.
0: So do you think that the players that are. I'm seeing like at the tail end of their careers, theoretically. um, I'm going into. Vince Carter? You know, well, see, Vince had already said he's going to retire, right? So now does he... I mean, maybe he goes back and goes, I'm not going to follow through. I'm going to play 60 more games or whatever next season looks like. That type of stuff for NBA aspects. You know, he just goes, screw it, man. I'll run it back with Memphis, I think. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta. Thank you. Thank you. I forgot about that. It's Iguodala who played for... Well, kind of used to play for Memphis. Um, Now, weirdly plays for the Heat, but it doesn't do that good. Um... Do do you think it helps players who are on the back end of their careers, like have like a year or three left, maybe, and go, okay, this gives them more time to recover, gives them basically like a because theoretically now they'll have like two off seasons or an or for some an extended off season if they weren't already going to make the playoffs, right? So they had the season got cut short, but you know something happened on the back end where you you know, either don't have the playoffs anymore because of everything happened or you had kind of a two month off season before the start of the playoffs. And then you have theoretically an off season again before the next season would start. Right. Yeah. I like, yeah,
2: I think it really helps them. You know, you can, you can look at guys like Federer who are definitely on the tail end of their career. Um, I can't, I don't know about LeBron, honestly. Like I couldn't say about that dude. Um, I'm trying to think about. I mean, Calvin. Do any guys come to mind where you're like, okay, they're declining, but they're not done yet?
1: Um, I think for me, I'm sorry to interrupt. Venus yeah. Williams, for sure. Okay. she's 39 years okay. old, and she turns 40 in June of next year, and uh, or June of this year. I'm sorry, and it's uh, difficult for her because all the women in the top 10 uh, are, are are much younger than her, and including. Uh, well Serena is not that much younger but it, but still it's the the it, it's difficult to see she's always been retirement talk is going on with her since like 2015 2014 people mm-hmm. because she would, she started to lose more often than usual and people are like oh when is being, it's just a matter of time but then always but then something like covid-19 happens and she's there's video of her doing uh you know physical therapy and uh, and uh, intense training sessions and uh, people like them, who, people like Venus, who have such a big passion for the game, uh, even if she knows that she's not the favorite to win any of the Grand Slams or get to like quarterfinals or semifinals, because of her legacy in the previous years when she used to win Grand Slams, uh, it, it helps people like them, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. Vin, Vince Carter, for sure, this, in my opinion, this will help him. I, I think he, maybe even if he was considering to retire this year, uh, the pandemic might've changed his mind now that he sees that everybody is having time off and he can use that to improve skills. And, you know, uh, just, I want to do a quick reference to look at a uh, shout out to Mike Tyson. Geez, I, I don't know if you guys have seen his videos. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I would be scared because it's just <laughs> like, you look at someone like him who has such passion and when they're focused, they're just a killer, you know, and it's someone like Mike and, and uh it's just like so many – some some athletes have completely changed their mind, you know, on uh, uh, whether they're, they're really retired or they're not or they're, if they're considering it or not, then they're not. And for the most part, I've seen people – I've seen the time off that we've had from coronavirus motivate people to stay in their sport, you know, and not just stay in it but, like, completely transform themselves, you know. So it's interesting to see. Um
0: it, yeah, I mean it really is. I Jake, to your question of of NBA players who um maybe extending their careers and that type of stuff. I mean, um Pau Gasol, who's was thirty nine before the season started, um JJ Berea, uh JJ Redick. Um gosh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody here. Um uh, Tapo Stephalocio, who already throws on the end of his other side of his career, I guess I should say. Um, Conley, maybe Nene, yeah, Tyson Chandler. I, I, I mean, JJ Reddick's the biggest name off of the the list I'm looking at right now. That I would go, oh, maybe this really does extend his career because he's 35 and gives him a little bit longer. But, but yeah, Mike Conley too, and um, the Mark. I think. Yeah, Kyle Corver yeah, he's he's up there. I'm surprised he's not already already retired. To be honest. Um, uh, who else? Oh, Lamarcus Aldridge. You know, he's thirty-four. Um, you yeah, know, some of these guys who, uh, you like know, the best example. yeah, Lamarcus Aldridge, like a bigger dude who could really, you know, he would think that a lot of the, you know, the the time and the grinding all type of stuff would really wear down on him more than other players, I guess, because uh-huh. uh, he's just battling the pain all the time too. Yeah, he has bad knees. Yeah, yeah. Well, all of us do at some point, I'll say. Um, I know especially I know. especially myself here. Um, yeah, but it's uh it's gonna be interesting how everything turns out from this, but it'll. Two two uh quick notes before yeah. we wrap up here. We've got
2: Premier League is returning um, June seventeenth, and so that's English, and then Serie A, which is the Italian league, is returning on June twentieth. So,
1: yeah, and I think the U.S. Open and French Open are still planned to go, but they're considering doing uh, nobody in the stadium or at least very low capacity, which is tough to see. And especially in the U.S. Open and Arthur Ashe Stadium, when it used to fit 23,000 people, it would be really weird to see zero people in it. But, you know, they got to do what they got to do if they want to make some revenue. So, um it's It'll be, as of now, as of today, it, they're both events are still planned. Um, God forbid if a second wave hits or if things do not get better, they may have to cancel it outright like Wimbledon. But um, as of now, both tournaments are still planned. So
0: That's something good to hear. I know, um, I've heard from a couple of sources that the Oklahoma um, High School Championships or the Oklahoma, maybe it's like a... Maybe it's not high school championships necessarily, or but like exhibitions or something like that. But I know Oklahoma was doing tennis matches where basically show up and they're the the tennis balls that were for you um, had your name written on them, and there were no ball boys and anything like that. But they're just chair umpires. There's like a chair umpire, and that was it. No spectators or anything. So um, it's kind of interesting to hear how stuff was going on while it was still going on, of course, and. That'll happen in the future, and you know, seeing today that Texas is going to let you know spectators be in attendance, but only up to twenty five percent of capacity for stadiums and stuff like that. I mean, can you imagine the people who got who had the highest ticket price as they have the the first five rows to themselves, or whatever ends up ends up happening? And you've got the people who are sitting you know at the very very top of the stadium, but off to exit the stadium in staggered you know staggered times and all type of stuff too. Just to make sure. You know
1: everything's intact
0: and every practice is obeyed regularly too.
1: Yeah, the U.S. Open last year they had over seven hundred thirty-eight thousand fans and generated one hundred and sixty-one million dollars, and we are not going to see anywhere close to that this year. And it's just like they don't know if they're they might even because they want to earn something. You know they want to they want to see if they can reschedule. or or relocate this event to somewhere in California or another location that has the capacity to for all these different players, men and women. So we'll see.
0: Wow. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how everything works out from this. Um, Not just sports-wise, of course, economically. And, of course, the tourism that is directed to certain areas. You know, I mean... Vegas, you would think, would be having one of their his one of their best weeks, um, and historical weeks ever, with the NFL draft supposedly being hosted there or was supposed to be hosted there this year, and you know, it turns out it'll come back before too long, but but still, you you, know, you have everything, you know, people gearing up for it, probably a couple businesses opening and stuff like that too, and all of it just change. will uh, be this will definitely be something we'll be talking about not not just this year. Um, but definitely for the next 5, 20 years or whatever it ends up being too. Mm-hmm.
1: At the end of the day, I hope uh, not just uh, for you guys, but for everyone who's listening that your families stay safe and stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, sports aside, we hope that uh, everything will soon, uh, I don't. we don't know if it'll end up being, being the same again, but I do hope that people, um, as long as their families uh, stay safe, that's all that matters. Um, uh, Sports will continue. Sports will happen. Uh, it'll return at some point. But as long as you guys stay safe and healthy, that's the most important thing.
0: 102%. Um, Could not agree more there. And uh, I hope that the good that comes from this, there'll be better practices going forward. Um, not saying there were any bad to begin with, but you know, that we'll only get better uh, from this. We'll only learn more, I guess is the better thing to say absolutely alright well uh, Ollie thanks so much for joining Jake thanks so much for again joining as always Um, and this yeah thank you thank you Um, gonna go ahead and end out here the latest episode of the CGA Tour podcast and if you are listening and have not yet followed us on Twitter or Instagram please do so um, with hopefully a new announcement coming soon thanks again guys thank you